Hi, I'm Dean Foley, and you're listening to the Indigipreneur Podcast, a show about Indigenous entrepreneurs, innovators, and leaders, and their inspiring stories. The thing that keeps pushing me is, you know, I wanted to prove my haters wrong. Cecilia Wright is a leading multicultural trainer, communicator, and champion for Indigenous education and inclusion. Originally from Thursday Island in the Torres Strait, Cecilia has extensive experience embedding cultural practices and exclusive practices in the early childhood sector. Hey Cecilia, you're doing amazing work with cultural inclusions. So what are your plans for the future? I guess uh, in the short term, I really hope to build some new resources. Uh, I've been talking to quite a few artists back up in the islands about you know, what else do they want to contribute and design and develop so I can share with the rest of the teachers and educators around Australia. Um, I guess for me, it's really been about what else I can do without stretching myself too far. So I'd love to do some more workshops this year and conferences to reach more teachers. I had a little look at the last two years. I've actually reached over um, 1,500 children around Australia, going out and actually being with them and, um, and you know, teaching them language, teaching them what it's like in the Torres Straits and what people and children are like and dressing them up. And, and you know, I do cooking with them and singing with them so that they get inspired then to want to do more on their own, you know, on their own little journey. So ideally this year I'd love to reach some more children, teachers and educators and develop some more resources that could be used anywhere, that could be used, you know, tablecloths and uh, artwork and puzzles and, you know, instruments that could be used anywhere, anytime. I'm very lucky this year we've got a couple of schools already that are setting up their um, island dance trips. So they've asked me for resources from the islands, yeah, to, and instruments so they can set them up so they can learn island dancing down in Sydney and Toowoomba and a few other places. So your parents own a shop up in Torres Strait. Is that what inspired you to go into business? <laughs> That's a pretty funny question. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, when you're, when you're growing up in a big family and small island, you know, everybody has to help out and everyone has to do their bit. So, yeah, as soon as we could see over the counter, I say we all had to work at the shop. And um, and everyone uh, in the islands actually knows my family pretty well because Dad actually was an electrician, one of the first electricians in TI. So he actually went around installing power to many of the houses in community back in the day. And um, I guess I saw growing up all my life that, you know, how multicultural uh, families were and how... Uh, when you embrace that, that's a good way to be, you know, that everybody feels included, everyone feels accepted. And um, and that's really, I guess, what's inspired me the most to keep going as well, you know, that cultures aren't going to go away. You know, our families are here and, and we're, Australia's just having the most wonderful, you know, um, like community approach at this stage. I think we're really in a good opportunity um, to embrace other cultures, to be, to choose to be accepting and to welcome families, you know, from different places and times. And, um, and I always come back to, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. And I always think of that because 
you know, it took me a village to develop my business. It took me a village to be who I am today with all of that community and family and extended family around me. And when I talk about it takes a village to raise a child to teachers, I say to them that they are the village, you know, we are one part of that child's life. And if we work together and share the information and, um, you know, look at it from a perspective where we can all help that child to grow into a, a holistic human being, then, you know, why not? I think that's how we should all be looking at raising children yeah, and working with families. Awesome. And what entrepreneurial and business skills did you learn working in the store? Um, on TI, growing up in my family store, I think we learned really about taking action, not sitting back, you know, was a really big thing for us that there was always something happening in community. Um, there were always different people um, surrounding us so we had to always you know be aware of who was there use the right language as well when people came into our store being respectful as well um, I remember my dad listening to him speak many different languages as different people came in and, and talked to him and you know wanted to yarn with him and I think it doesn't matter where you come from too that you know it's always about acceptance and and belonging and that's actually one of our um uh, pedagogies in early childhood is being belonging and becoming and I think it's really about uh, yeah accepting accepting who you are accepting where you are and uh, valuing you know where you want to go to as well. So when did you decide to do your own thing and start your own business? It's a good question. Uh, I think as I've traveled for the last 20 years around Australia I've worked for many different organisations and, you know, I have done quite a bit of study with um, registered training organisations, with TAFE, and I've even taught for them as well. <laughs> uh, but I think the biggest learning from all of that is that, you know, there are set standards, there are set KPIs that you have to reach, you know, and um, especially for a woman too in a workplace that... There's so much extra responsibility and extra things you have to do to be seen as successful in the workplace. And for me, I realised that, you know, I want to be flexible. I want to be able to do something that works for me, that makes me feel good as well about giving back to community and, um, and teaching and training in that way. And I wanted the flexibility to have a family and support my family as well. You know, that's, that's really what you know, life and um, and my business is all about is about family, you know, it's top of my priority and, and from community, you know, that's number one and TI in the islands. So really it was about what can I do to suit my family, to suit my community and in the workplace in particular, you know, some places are very, very strict around that, that, you know, nine to five, you're in the office, you know, and this is priority. So I wanted to do something else that didn't have to abide to those guidelines yeah that's awesome and can you offer any advice to the indigenous who are listening yeah I guess for me um, a lot of it has been about you know taking the positive look on everything everywhere I've moved every job every time I've gone for an interview you know when I find out I'm um, losing a contract those types of things that really I try to think that you have to be open to possibilities. 
you have to try something before you say that's not going to work or, you know, that's, that's not going to do it for me. I think when I went back to TI recently, I worked with a lot of women and young families uh, with the family support program. And what I saw there is the, the willingness to say, no, I want to do better. You know, no, this isn't the pathway for me that I can change at any time. You know, and I think that that's really been very, very powerful for me that we need to really try something new to accept a challenge instead of saying no or instead of, um, you know, going back to old ways, you know, that we can all really make a big difference in our lives and, you know, do it for yourself, I think, is really big as well because at the end of the day, you know, you, you're doing it for yourself and you have to believe in yourself as well. Um, I guess don't give up as well is another big one, you know, but I always think about if something is not going well, then how can I adapt to make it work? How can I adapt to make it better for me? And, um, and that's really been a big part of my business as well is that you have to adapt to change. You have to work out uh, what's another opportunity coming up that I think I could, you know, benefit from or support or help build and grow. And, um, and I love all of that. I love a new challenge and I love, um, you know, finding out other opportunities where I can support and, um, and grow and learn from. Wow, that's amazing. Sounds like you've got a really awesome entrepreneurial mindset. Where do you think you got it from? That's actually a really good question. I've done a lot of uh, personal development over the few uh, years, actually. And a lot of it was uh, working with mentors down um, down at the Gold Coast, down at the Hunter Valley. But I think it's really about when you're with, when you start thinking differently, it's about being with people that think differently as well. And one of these retreats in particular was about, um, you know, being high on life, you know, not needing, not needing cigarettes, not needing alcohol, not even needing fatty foods. And, and challenging yourself to think differently. And in those moments, being with people that think like that, the world is your oyster. You know, you're open to any possibility you want to, to develop, to discover, to, yeah, to, to do, to, um, to create a better world and a better life for you. Yeah, we, um, we did quite a few different workshops. One where we even went without food for about 16 hours because they were trying to show us that you actually don't need food to survive, that the need for you know fatty food or the need for chocolate or things like that is actually just a conditioning. You know, And we need to look past all of those things to, to think about the bigger picture and what else we can do. Yeah. Nice. And did you have a range of mentors? Were they in any specific industry? Um, that's a good question too. We had one in particular mentor. And it was funny because I actually didn't want to, I didn't sign up to go to this particular course. My husband signed me up. And it was actually about financial planning. And I think like many people, you kind of cringe at, at the thought of having to do something mathematical or finances. But um, we went along, and do you know what? It was whole. It was so much more than I was expecting it to be. That you know, when you're going to create change in your life, it's really about reflecting on what you've done so far and where you want to go. And that's the whole first part of that conference. And I just wasn't expecting it because there was many different mentors there to support people. 
the people from uh, business backgrounds, there was people from um, shares and marketing and, you know, they, they put together this great team to support you to build your business. But the whole first part of it was about you and what you want in your life. And, you know, really that was just a self-reflection. And I think it's good to do that once a year at least to have a bit of a self-reflection of who you are, what you want and where you want to go. Yeah, and that really inspired me the most. And, you know, it made me cry. It made me, you know, want to walk away from it because I was scared about it all. But when you really take a good look at yourself and what you want to do, I think you have to go with it. Go with the flow. You know, don't don't say no and don't be scared. So starting your business, was was it a massive success to begin with or you know, what have been the challenges along the way? Many, many challenges. <laughs> I think starting a business is always a big step, but our attitude towards it um, was always about, you know, what can I start off with? What's a small task I can do to build my business while working or, you know, while having a family um, how can I do it on the side while, and slowly build up my reputation, slowly, you know, build up and, um, and discover what the need is in industry. So really starting my business has, has been a long journey for me and many ups and downs. But um, I think it's a, it's a challenge that many people should try. You don't know until you try. Yeah. And getting those runs on the board and validation is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, when you surround yourself by the right people as well and you talk to the people that you work for and you talk to the clients that you have and, and really discover what they need and what they want from you, you can achieve anything, you know, and that's that's the most wonderful thing is hearing the feedback and, and talking to people about what they've done on their in- uh, journey, on their cultural inclusion journey. You know, that's really been powerful for me and that really pushes me further to do more, to, to reach more families, reach more teachers and children. Mm. Do you think that's been a challenge for, you know, some of the aspiring entrepreneurs that you meet, that they don't, you know, go out there um, and get that validation around their idea? They just kind of want to raise heaps of money and be super successful? <laughs> yeah, be a millionaire, hey? Um, yeah, I think... I think one of the biggest challenges for everybody is around that money, you know, because it does come up quite a lot around, you know, where do I get funding from, you know, do I, what do I sell to, to get the money to do it. And I always, um, I always reflect back on um, a conversation I had with one of my mentors too around, you know, do I get a business loan? What, what am I doing? And he said, he said to me, if you can afford not to, don't do it. You know, you don't want to owe somebody else money, including the bank. And um, and so I think it's really been about what can I do to create that cash flow that you can then use to put back into the business, to build again and again and again. And that's really how I've done my whole business. I haven't borrowed any money. Um, you know, I've really looked at how much I'm worth as well, you know, talking about making up contracts and doing workshops and all those types of things, guest speaking, that really, what am I worth? And, um, and that was a bit of an exercise as well. But, you know, it's about as well, um, you know, feeling good about yourself too, that what am I worth? What do I give to this? And, um, and what can I give as well? And I think especially for um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander entrepreneurs that 
you know, you have so much to give. It's just about working out exactly what it is. How do I, um, how do I deliver that? How do I meet the niche in the, in the business area and, um, and give it a go? I think you don't know till you try. And every time you fall down, you know, you get back up and, and try again. Totally agree. I feel like a lot of people I know question if they're worthy for the goal, but I think the real question is, is their goal worthy for them? So when you were just starting out, did you undervalue your worth? Knowing your worth, hey? I've actually uh, been talking to another um, beautiful Aboriginal consultant down here as well, uh, helping her with this as well, because it really, it really made me open my eyes to... Um, how precious your skills can be, how valuable they are. Um, but again, it's about that self-reflection. So when I first started uh, thinking about consulting and working out how much I was worth, I started looking at the organisations already established in Brisbane, how much they charge and what they offer as well and how sustainable their advice or workshops were. How did they actually support um, your clients to use the information they've learned to develop themselves in the future and pass that on? You know, I always look at business as not a, um, a you know, one-off visit, as a one-off workshop that fam- uh, families, the actual clients should be looking at it as a journey you know everyone's on a learning journey everyone's on a cultural journey Um, and I really feel that um, it's all about what can you offer and how can you support that client to go further so for me I I actually did charge quite cheap (laughs) workshops charge myself quite cheaply in the beginning and uh, the more I started to do, the more I started to realise, okay, I'm not getting you know, the time over money <laughs> equation right. And I uh, started looking at what else I could do for these teachers in particular, children in particular, that they would be supported to do this journey on, them, on their own. So in my workshops in particular, I actually, um, I actually factor in resources for them, educational resources. So not only do they learn about them, get to use them and understand where they came from, but they can then feel comfortable to use that every day in their practices, in their workshops, in their teaching. Yeah, so that's really uh, how I developed my pricing is yeah, having these resources to go along with them. And what's been your motivation, you know, um, when you get knocked down? How do you get back up and keep going? another good question (laughs) I think for me um, it's really about what do I want to do with my life do I want to work nine to five every day for somebody else reaching their goals you know do I want to um, be that person every day till I'm 70 or do I want to do something else and and reach a different um, outcome you know for me for my future for my children's future and for my community and that really is what drives me the most I'll even in the quiet periods when I don't have any work on I'll have someone reach out to me and say hey why don't you come out and talk to us or or I'll be inspired by going out and um, even in the local shopping center when I see beautiful artwork or prints or puzzles or things like that I think 
where's the Torres Strait stuff? And that's really what I'm here to do. I want to bring all of that, develop all of that, and get it out there to the rest of the world. We have beautiful artists. We have beautiful creators. Um, you know, we have all of that talent and skill in community. And just because we're remote, you know, shouldn't be a barrier for us. Yeah, and I think this is this is our opportunity. You know, we have all these wonderful networks down here. We have, you know... Um, all of the uh, you know different businesses, different social media networks. That this is our opportunity to share all of that, and that's really what it's about. I think, you know, with any business, it's about sharing what you have, sharing your skills, and sharing your ideas with other people. So you think that Torres Strait Islander people are sometimes left out? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess um, the Torres Strait Island community, in particular, in community in the islands. I found as I move around Australia that we are left out and we are forgotten about because we are a smaller population and because we are so remote. And um, and I learn more and more every day around uh, community and culture and language and, um, and who are the best contacts for those types of things in community. And what I see as I travel around too is that um, people are concerned about what they should say or do or not do, especially in our industry and community services. And I always reflect on them and, and, uh, and contact them and, and say that, you know, really um, working with Aboriginal Torres families, Aboriginal families, it's really about yarning to them, having a talk who's the best contact I need to talk to how can I do this in the most appropriate way um, you know and what are the needs of that family or of that community that I can do you know with my business obviously you're, you're given a lot of value do you think you should be charging more for the work you do I should <laughs> that's a really good question no no I actually still feel that because especially my work in particular in early childhood services that this information this type of training and workshops is so valuable that I want to reach as many teachers as I can I want to reach as many children as I can so I actually don't overprice myself at this stage because I want to reach as many as possible I want to be affordable for them and I want them to be inspired then that when they want more information, they want more resources, that they'll understand the value and then come back to me again. Yeah. And have you got any plans that you can share about how you plan to reach more people? So this year um, I've actually been looking uh, interstate at different early childhood conferences, at different family support conferences where I can uh, go along and add value to the conferences where I can have my educational stall as well because I believe it's business in, in the community services is about face-to-face uh, meeting people, about talking to them. And I love that type of thing when I get to go to a conference and I have people that want to share their story about the Torres Straits or they want to share their story about where their family's from. I think that's really important in building your business as well that it's about meeting people and um, and talking to them and letting them tell their story. Yeah, that's my favourite bit. I have this one teacher who I meet at conferences once a year who forgets that she's come and told me her story. And every year she comes and tells me how she had these two students stay with her um, on a school trip down here. 
and she said, I will cook you anything you want. You tell me what I want you to cook. I'll cook any dish, any dish. They asked for turtle and dugong. Yeah, so she she tells me every year that, you know, she had no idea that we even ate turtles and dugongs and how shocked she was that these boys had asked for it. Wow. And um, you mentioned conferences. Um, when you were just starting out, were there one or two early wins where you're like, you know, this could be a successful business that you can talk about? When I first did a conference, I actually um, went halves in setting up a stall, an information stall with this other company that I was not 100% sure of myself as well and where this would go. So for two years in a row, we actually went halves in this information store and we both bought a table each, a chair each and set ourselves up. And um, we did two years of that when what we found is that uh, educators and teachers wanted to talk to both of us, wanted to be involved in both of us. So we had so many teachers coming along and you know really engaged in our conversation and we realized that we needed to separate ourselves so both our businesses were growing quite fast and um and it was a really great learning for me you know to be there and see her networks and then to be there and build my own networks through that as well and you know i guess that's another tip on businesses you know it's it's um always a great opportunity if possible to share um, ideas, networks, and work together, you know, alongside another business. She promoted me, I promoted her, I've even done some consulting for her in her workshops, and um, and we've always had a really great connection, the two of us. So um, so that's still, still current today. I still do workshops for them, uh, you know, if they have a contract around, um, yeah, learning about the land we walk on for teachers and educators and inclusion. Wow, do you still go halves and conferences with booths? <laughs> no, I can afford my own booth now, but it's wonderful to um, to connect with her every year and have a talk about you know where um, different priorities are for teachers and the education system in Queensland in particular. I do love working interstate, so I've been doing some work for her interstate as well. I've been flying down to Melbourne and doing some workshops down there. Nice. And uh, have you used that strategy to continue to grow your business um, with partners? Yeah, it's. I think a lot of uh, businesses around partnering as well and finding out who has the contacts. And that's something I always um, talk about with other people who are setting up businesses or consultancies is, you know, getting your name out there is really around who is doing what in what area um, what type of clients are they reaching and what's their needs and what's your niche as well so you can add value to that organization or you can add value to that you know that partner or that network and um, and I love to promote that with other small business owners as well that you know if I can pass them a contact or um, you know mention their details to another company I will and I'm very lucky that I talk around uh, talk about the Torres Strait Island culture in particular. So there's not many consultants uh, in our field, in our community services that are doing that in Brisbane. So I'm very lucky I can add value to that. And I have all the wonderful contacts back home. So I have lots of artists who can, um, you know, contribute to that and give me their artwork or their instruments to sell that nobody else has got contacts for. So your competition, are they non-Indigenous businesses or are they just... 
businesses that maybe just don't have those community values? Uh, probably both of those. They're uh, non-Indigenous businesses. They, um, they are purchasing from overseas suppliers. and um, So China? Yeah, China. <laughs> some of them, some of them um, have got local artists, um, uh, local Indigenous artists from Brisbane developing you know beautiful artwork but what i see is that the artists aren't getting what they deserve and that when our products are sent overseas you know they're made in places that um for example indian women's prisons you know it's wonderful that inmates can create an income for themselves and have something to do but if i could give that money back to one person on Badu Island, you know, that's, I think, so much more valuable than having to outsource like that. And, um, and you know, I've got coconuts mats coming in from Saibai and, and um, you know, beautiful artwork from Darnley Island. That That's really, you know, that's what I'm all about because in those communities in particular, there's only so many jobs you can apply for. There's only so many people that um, are eligible to work in community. So heavily uh communities heavily you know relying on those um centrelink handouts so why not try to promote and build something else for them you know that they can get a a ongoing payment uh from me selling my resources that they can get ongoing payments when they develop new instruments or you know artwork that they want me to turn into puzzles and books um, have a beautiful artist and uh, author on Horn Island who's written books about child safety. She's written a book about making instruments. She's, you know, photographed her journey and, you know, we've put all that together into a book and, and, um, and she wants to come down to one of the conferences this year, you know, to actually see how it works and what goes on in these, um, at the big conferences down here for early childhood, you know, and that's about building her profile as well. Yeah, so obviously in remote and rural Aboriginal communities and Torres Strait Islander communities, there's not as many opportunities. Do you think government programs like Work for the Door are actually helping create jobs? Uh, we are very lucky on TI because uh, Thursday Island is one of the largest commercial hubs in the community, in the Torres Straits, that uh, we do have different opportunities that come up. Um, so we have had IBA come up. We have had uh, different training organisations come up, but again, these types of business models are, you know, fly-in, fly-out, essentially. So um, they really aren't sustainable. They're not supportive for the long journey, you know, for businesses. And uh, because, because the community is so remote that, you know, Telstra can drop out at any second. The, the water at the moment is brown on TI and it's been brown for a year. So, you know, there are so many issues with just accessing clean water and cheap fruit and vegetables. So, um, you know, it's really a big struggle for some people to get out of bed each day, work out if they're going to go to work, work out if they're going to look for work. Or, you know, even to get up and get the children ready for school. You know, have they got food? Have they got clothes? Have they got everything they need to go to school every day? So for me, when I go back home and and think about, you know, what I can do and and how we can support other business people in the islands, in particular in remote communities, 
it's really about getting all of those fundamentals right first and um, and promoting and building businesses. It's really in the communities about finding out how I can support, you know, sustainable outcomes, how I can support a group of people or one person, you know, to better themselves so they can then learn to better someone else, to help someone else out. And um, very lucky this week I've been learning more about a company up there of local guys, my brother included, that are looking at local businesses and how they can support them uh, to build to grow, to apply for more tenders where organisations are working together, working for community and from community as well. Yeah, there's TS Connect uh, with Patrick Mao, one of the uh, well-known um, producers, music artists up on TI. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's really what it's about is if you want something sustainable, if you want to support community and, and make it better, then, you know, you've got to come from within, hey? Mm. So it just sort of came about because of these organisations that are supposed to help, you know, weren't really helping? Yeah, I think uh, we need a change in how businesses work, in how KPIs are met in how um, many organisations in remote communities are funded, you know, that there, there is not enough flexibility to, to the community, to the community's needs, to the events that pop up, you know, and, and not only that, but to supporting the workers, you know, to do what they have to do every day and, um, and their families and, you know, their children... Those types of things. I guess every time I go back to TI, I see that again and again, and it it really breaks my heart to think that you know it's 2018 and it's still the same same people in power, the same organisations that are doing the exact same thing they've always done, and um, and no one's learning anything different, no one's trying anything different, and everyone's in the same place they were 10 years ago. 20 years ago in the same jobs in the same um, you know level of you know roles those types of things yeah so I think it is time for change it's definitely time for entrepreneurs to shine and um, and it's time to think differently as well about what we want to do in the future and why so true obviously you're doing a lot of amazing work with cultural inclusions so what are your plans for the future yeah, I guess my long-term goal is about uh, being able to do this full-time and take my family with me, you know, as I travel and, um, and roll this out worldwide, actually, as well. So the rest of the world can actually see what Torshiran culture looks like and, and have all of the dolls and the music and the instruments for them to teach their children all around the world about the Indigenous people of Australia. And I also hope to um, do the exact same thing for many other cultures in Australia. I actually want to um, do the same thing for Aboriginal clan groups of Australia, for um, you know the Chinese, for the, the many different cultures that we have in Australia. Ideally, I hope to do this on multicultural levels and, um, and be able to travel and do that all over the world. That'd be super cool. And um, just one thing before I forget. So so you went to IBA. Um, did you ever think about trying to get a loan through IBA or were you always thinking about trying to bootstrap things? 
<laughs> um, yeah, it was interesting doing my own personal development and doing my own business workshops um, to doing the IBA workshop. And it really opened my eyes to um, what I could do and how far my business could go if I had applied for them uh, to them for a loan. And it really made me think about doing it on my own. How can I do it on my own without having to owe someone money? You know, it's the same as if borrowing money from family. You know, that how else can I do this on my own for me? You know, and, and I guess I'm stubborn that way. I'd rather do it myself, you know. So, um, so when I learnt about the options with IBA I, and talked to the other people that were there wanting to build their business, you know, I really reflected on do I want to do that? And, um, and at that time too there were a lot of changes coming through IBA so I knew that the opportunity were going to change, the opportunities were going to change very soon with them. And I then decided that I had all the information I could get from them. I had done all the training that I could with them and they couldn't help me further. You know, my next step had to be my own. Yeah. Nice. And have you got any um, tips or advice for, you know, these entrepreneurs coming up about bootstrapping? Bootstrapping? Oh, sorry. Um, like doing it off your own back. Oh, okay. So that's what it's called in the startup world, bootstrapping, because, you, you know, it's by the boots kind of thing. It's... That's a that's an interesting uh, metaphor. Um, I guess I think it's all about um, surrounding yourself with the right people. Who are the people that are going to motivate you? Who are the people that are going to support you on your journey? And um, and if if you find yourself, you know, I always think about you know, look at the people around you and um, what is it? The first five people the first five people that you're closest to, their combined income is the income that you are going to make. And, you know, I didn't want that for myself and I don't want that for anybody else really. So how could I um, develop and grow what I do and how can I um, do that on my own without any support if possible? So I guess I looked into crowdsourcing. I looked into... um, anthropology funds you know I looked into all those different options but for me I was positive that I was going to be able to create enough of an income that I could use that to put back into the business that if people understood my journey and what I was trying to do and who I was trying to do it for that it would be worthwhile and it would work out yeah and it has that's awesome advice for the indigenous who are listening do you have any other advice you could offer them? Hmm. I think uh, for me the thing that keeps pushing me is, you know, I wanted to prove my haters wrong, <laughs> you know, that I wanted to prove those people who were doubting me and what I was doing and why I was doing wrong. So, you know, the for me the bigger outcome was worth it, you know, the... Um, staying up till late and you know traveling around the countryside at all hours and and driving around Melbourne by myself (laughs) that was all worth it because the greater outcome is what you can achieve what you can give back and um and for my business in particular you know I'm impacting future generations and for me that's what it was about you know that um that the more you can work out what your niche is 
the more you can work out how you can do that and create an income at the same time, that's really what it's about. And standing out from the crowd, you know, that's that's really what business is about, successful businesses, is standing out from the crowd and um, being able to offer something that's priceless. So what's been your biggest success in business so far? What's What's been the biggest contract that you've won? The largest contract I've had so far has been uh, working with a huge chain of childcare centres in Brisbane. And uh, it was a little odd how that contract came about, actually, because I did a workshop for a group of directors and teachers, and a year later, one of those uh, teachers contacted me and said she looks after this chain of childcare centres, so she wanted me to go to every single childcare centre and do a workshop with all of the children, all of the teachers, and, um, and speak at their conference this year. Yeah, so that was pretty big for me because I, you know, I really felt that, you know, this was going to be a step-by-step journey going to every centre separately and, you know, and chasing those contracts down myself. So when I won that, I was very, very happy and couldn't believe how much, you know, she really valued the information that I shared and that I taught them and she understood how important it was to pass on to those children and teachers yeah, so that um, that was really amazing for me. And how did you get your foot in the door? Did you just show up one day or did you have a good portfolio? Um, I, think, I think for me, I've been working in childcare for about 20 years all over Australia. And uh, we are a small network. We all know, uh, you know, someone within an organisation and you know what we're really in in early childhood all over Australia we're very practical very um you know we are there for the children we're not there for the money you know so once I think that connection was formed and um you know people really understood I understood where they were coming from they understood where I was coming from with our journeys that they wanted to learn more they wanted to hear more so every opportunity I could and even now today you know I jump in chat rooms and um, and I jump on different websites to talk to them around you know what else they can do for Aboriginal Toshan children and families and you know and how important it is you know not just to have professional development but to have the actual tools and resources and educational materials for those children and for those families and to be inclusive of them, include those families in your journey. And um, and really that's, you know, that's really the connection that we all have and that they all want to do it because it's in our studies as well and it's in our philosophy of working with children as well. Yeah, so, so I guess it's about speaking out, you know, as well, not staying quiet when you're in those situations, you know, and I really feel passionate about it so every opportunity I can you know I talk about it and share share the opportunities available so you, did, you weren't an overnight success for picking up that contract no no I'm definitely not but I feel that uh, every day there's a new opportunity around so you know being being open to it and saying yes rather than no or working out a way to um, to work together or talk about the options of how you can do it, you know, rather than the negative. I think that's really what it's about. 
I said, every opportunity is a new opportunity and, um, and you can add value to that. Yeah. And with that massive contract you won, did you have any doubts like to begin with or were you just confident you were just going to win that and just get a lot of work from it? Uh, I think the first, that, that big contract really made me think about um, how I could do it, you know, that there was, there was no doubt because, you know, she, they, that organisation wanted me straight away. They knew who I was. They knew what I could do. So it really made me feel empowered that there's more opportunity out there, you know, and this is just the very first step of where I could go and how many children and families and teachers I could reach. That concludes today's episode of Indigipreneur. If you would like to know more about Cecilia's inspirational work, go to her website at www.culturalinclusions.com.au or connect on Facebook at Cultural Inclusions. If you like this episode, please share with friends or connect on social media at Indigipreneur where you can find more episodes like this. Are you a young Indigipreneur? If yes, come along to our First Nations Youth Summit, which will be hosted in Brisbane on the 28th to 29th of June. It's an opportunity to connect with other First Nations youth, create new professional networks, and learn new skills you can take back to your community. For more information, please go to the website at firstnationsyouthsummit.com. This episode was brought to you by Vazudara Foundation. The Vazudara Foundation supports social entrepreneurs to build creative and innovative projects that deliver positive social impact. In addition to their philanthropic work, they manage private investment portfolio which generates the resources to fund these social projects they love to work on. Feel free to get in contact with them at contact at vazudara.org or visit their website www.vazudara.org. Today's episode has been hosted by myself, Dean Foley, and produced by Damien Renz.